0: Welcome to the Been There, Got Out podcast. I'm Lisa, a state-certified domestic violence advocate and veteran of more than eight years in the trenches of the legal system, the last five successfully representing myself.
1: And I'm Chris. I'm a certified high-conflict divorce coach. And between the two of us, we have all this knowledge and experience that we never wanted. But now we can put it to great use, providing expert guidance, to people in high conflict divorce and custody situations so you have the best chance in court and beyond.
0: Having the right support from people who get it is so critical to getting you and your children through it as unscathed as possible. And that's exactly what we do through our interviews with experts and other content right here on this podcast. So let's get to it. We are trying again with tonight's Instagram Live with Chelsea Brooke Cole. Anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about the narcissistic discard and uh, we're really excited to have Chelsea back. We talked in the past about um, you know, narcissistic abuse and coercive control and especially how it affects the kids among other things. So, there you go.
2: Yay, we got it. And I can hear you. you? It's okay. Tech problems, they always happen. But we're good. Good, good.
0: I'm glad this time it's working. So, this is an anxiously awaited topic.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, the narcissistic discard is brutal. So I'm so glad
0: we're talking about it. I know. I know. And this is like we always tell our people that our content is driven by our clients. And this is one that definitely is uh, requested often. And um, we always have a few clients that are dealing with it. We often call them the babies at the beginning beginning of the process, I'll just say. And they cannot understand what is going on. And of course, it makes no sense. And how could someone that they've been with, that they thought they were in love with and that loved them back, be, behave like this? So Chelsea, you want to introduce yourself briefly again for people who don't already know you?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I'm a psychotherapist, speaker, author, coach, specializing in narcissistic abuse and helping introverts and empaths thrive. I always say you can only encounter so many narcissists in your life before you realize, you have to figure out what's going on and you have to do something about it. So with my work, it was really easy. Once I've had personal experiences with narcissists and professional ones, and I've worked with people who've, you know, obviously dealt with narcissistic abuse. So now it's, it's my mission. It's my passion to help people understand, learn to heal and thrive from narcissistic abuse and hopefully avoid these relationships altogether.
0: Yeah, I wish. (laughs) I know, I know. and I remember the last time we were together, you gave some insane statistic. You want to start with that statistic again, and how many people are affected by these monsters?
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. So we often hear about the statistics, the statistic of narcissistic personality disorder, but narcissists don't have to have a, a disorder, a diagnosis, or anything like that to be, re- you know, really, really damaging. So the number of people that um, just have high narcissistic traits—if if they, you know, let's say that's like one in, you know, ten people who who are, have narcissistic traits—and they only affect five people—you're getting mm-hmm. to the tens of millions of Americans or, or people in the world that are being impacted by these narcissists. So the statistics are. You know, amazing. And the more awareness that comes to light about narcissism, we're just seeing more and more that this is, is affecting so many people. We're just now really talking about it.
0: Yeah, I know. And uh, there's certain celebrities to thank for that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's All very right.
2: common to see that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, why don't you define what is the narcissistic discard?
2: Yeah. So the narcissistic discard is really uh, typically the last stage in the narcissistic cycle of abuse. So you've got, you know, idealized where you've got the love bombing when people are just getting in these relationships. Like you were sharing, people think they have found their soulmate or they found, you know, such, a, such an amazing partner. So that's the idealized phase. And then slowly over time, things start to change. The person starts to be, you know, more critical or belittling or manipulative or passive aggressive or, They're not answering calls or texts or they're constantly putting you down. You're starting to question yourself and question the relationship, but you still think they're this person I met, you know, they're, they're a really great person. We're just going through a rough patch. You know, they're stressed out at work. Things will get better. And then the discard happens. And oftentimes it happens at the worst possible time. It's when you're sick and you think the narcissist is of course going to be there for you You Know your partner's going to be there for you when you're sick or when you are having a struggle with family or work or, you know, some some big change happens, that's often when, when the discard happens is when you're, you are at least expecting it. But it's usually because the narcissist is just kind of bored with your with narcissistic supply. They've become uh, disinterested or they've found something or someone that they feel is new or better. They're, they're going to be up-leveled in some way. And then all of a sudden, this person that you thought you love and you had built this life with, just leaves. And it's absolutely devastating.
0: Yeah. Now I I thought of something that we hadn't talked about before, but we've realized that a narcissistic discard is much harder than a regular breakup. Why is that?
2: Uh, So much so because it's possible for two people in a relationship to just drift apart. It's possible that two people who are you know, relatively healthy people, but they just realize we have different values. We're going in different directions. We don't want the same things in life. So maybe they've had some difficult conversations or truly have personality differences or communication issues, and they realize, you know, I love this person and it hurts, but we're really just not, not best for each other. Narcissistic relationships aren't like that at all. The narcissist has blindsided you and sold you this persona of who you think they are. So you think you're getting this person in the beginning. You know, often if you're dealing with the grandiose narcissist, they seem very charming and charismatic and that they convince you that they love you. They say that they love you and they care for you. But then at the same time, they're slowly belittling you or devaluing you or, or putting you down in small critical ways. So by the time you break up with them, the narcissist can have you believing that it's your fault. And if you would have been better or done better or tried more, then they wouldn't have had to leave and their relationship wouldn't have had to end. So it's a very it's a crazy making cycle.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I remember like when I was, you know, I was with my ex for 20 years and and I remember at some point towards the end of the relationship, he had said something like, you know, and here we have two kids together. He said, well, you know, if we ever break up, I'll just get a girlfriend. Like there was no, nothing like I was that rep- replaceable and I didn't, you know, again, I didn't know what a narcissist was. I had, I just felt like, wow, it'd be that easy. And, yes. uh, apparently that's how it is with a lot of these people. They just replace you with whatever, whoever pays the most attention. Right. Because of what that's,
2: that's exactly what is so devastating because that is how narcissists view people in relationships. And you don't think that, right? Like you think they say they love you and care about you, so you assume, well, someone who loves, you know, loves me and cares about me wants the best for me. They they wouldn't do that. And so when this person says something so nonchalant, we can almost minimize or, or look over it or make excuses for it or justifications for it for a long time, and, and until we start to see that no, that's that's actually how narcissists treat people. They really use them as commodities and see them as interchangeable. And once you're no longer meeting whatever need that they have, or if you're not giving them enough praise and admiration or they're just bored, they, they just leave.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the hardest things that I found for myself and also a lot of our community feels is like, like accepting that that person never actually loved us, that we really didn't matter that much.
2: Yes. It's something that a lot of people struggle with and some people find that it's more, you know, more comforting to think that, well, the narcissist loved me in the way that they could. I tend to encourage radical acceptance uh, as I find that that's uh, an easier and better way to process through the grief. We have to acknowledge it for what it is. I I always tell people, you know, you get to define what love means to you. For me, someone who belittles you, criticizes you, but then says they want the best for you, that's not love. So I think we really have to come to terms with, you know, The narcissist is just doing what they're doing. They're calling it love, but that's that's really not
0: healthy love. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what's the difference between like the devaluing and then the actual discard?
2: Yeah. So that's an interesting thing because not all discards necessarily end with the narcissist leaving or breaking up. A, A discard can also be they're stonewalling you. They're giving you the silent treatment. They're ghosting you. Or maybe they're in the relationship, but they're actively cheating on you. So basically, you know, there's no relationship left. They
1: they've mm. found a new
2: supply, but, but they're physically present. Uh, the devaluing part is really the emotional and psychological abuse. So that's the ma- manipulation, the gaslighting, the lying, the, you know, denying your reality, the passive aggressiveness, that's, that's all of those things. So it's an interesting distinction because devaluing doesn't always, or discarding doesn't always mean that, they actually leave, they can actually stay in the relationship, but basically, essentially be done with you and no longer using you as a supply, which can also just feel miserable.
0: Yeah, you know, I never thought of it like that. I never thought of it that you could be discarded, but still be in the relationship or think that you're in the relationship when they are done with yeah. you. But that makes a lot of sense. Because we know that so often they want to keep, you know, their appearance that like we tell a lot of our clients that, when uh, divorce or separation happens it's very hard for someone like that because they feel abandoned and then it turns into rage and they're angry at you for destroying their beautiful home and their beautiful life and family so they, what you're saying is they can discard you where they keep that power and control they keep all the stuff and the appearances but they've they've gone on to uh live their own life
2: yeah it can be a kind of Scary, unsettling thing. I know I've had some clients who the narcissistic partner basically was done with their relationship. Like they were they were discarding their partner, um, but they were actively cheating and basically saying, "No, I'm not going to stop. Like this is this is how the relationship's going to be." Um, and to see that mask come off in that way, because when a narcissist is ready to discard you, it, they don't really care what you see because they're done with you. So they no longer <laughs> need to have that manipulation and control over you. So they might actually admit some lies and admit to cheating and admit some truth. And you kind of feels a little psychopathic. When that happens, you wonder like, who am I living with in this house? Like it's very, yeah.
0: Yeah. Conversations like this bring back a lot of memories. (laughs) And I think also for them, for them to acknowledge, like, this is what I'm doing too bad. They, they never expect, a victim to say, you know what, I'm done. Cause it's pretty shocking to them when they've discarded, but then you actually make the move and physically either get them out or get yourself out. It it seems like that's a big shock for many people like that.
2: Yeah. And that's the interesting thing is usually narcissists don't discard you or they don't get to that point until they already have a new supply. So they've Mm -hmm. already invested in someone else. They're already putting someone else through the idealized or the love bombing phase. So by the time that, that you find out and you realize that you're being discarded, they already have, you know, a new life, a new partner, a new fantasy world that's going to be so amazing without you. So it's very disorienting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was going to say, besides that, after discard, what what usually happens? Like, so they have new supply, but what other things should people expect in crazy world? <laughs> right.
2: Well, <laughs> A lot of people, you know, a lot of a term that a lot of people might be familiar with is hoovering, and it's funny mm-hmm. because that doesn't always happen after a narcissistic discard. So it's not a guarantee that just because someone discards you that that they will hoover you. It really, honestly, depends on the relation, uh, the narcissist, and how things are going in their world, as everything does. So if you know they have a new narcissist, narcissistic supply and everything seems to be going great for them. Then they may you know continue to go on and, and not hoover you at all it's also possible that as soon as you start healing so let's say that you you've decided to block the narcissist you're moving on you, you're you know finally like getting back to yourself and feeling good again that's often when the narcissist will come back and try to hoover you so it's very important to be aware of that kind of love bombing 2.0 kind of feel it's not uncommon for a narcissist to come back and try to to pull you back in because that's just another win in their mind.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say, can you define Hoover? Because some people don't know. I mean, I think a lot of our people do, but you said it sort of, and I know, go ahead.
2: Yes. It comes from from British English. Hoovering. Yeah. So you get to to give you the whole narcissistic cycle of abuse, you've got the idealize, the love bomb, the devalue, the discard, and the hoover. And that will often lead back to the idealize if the person goes back into the relationship. So Hoovering is basically this concept that you get hoovered or sucked back into the relationship. So the narcissist has discarded you. Let's say you've ended the relationship, you've separated, but then they text you and they say, I didn't know what I was missing. You are amazing. I need you back in my life. I didn't know what I had lost. Um, you know, they say everything that you ever wanted to say. They realize everything, everything you ever told them in the relationship. Now they understand and they're ready to, you know, try a hundred percent and meet all of your needs. So they often say those things that that's the hoover that's trying to get you back in, So they can start the devaluing process again.
0: Okay. So speaking of hoovering, someone had asked, and this is an interesting concept of the smear campaign. Can you talk a little bit about a smear campaign and how some people use it to hoover in positive and negative ways?
2: Oh yeah, that is a good question. So the smear campaign usually happens during or right after the discard for sure. So the smear campaign is all about the narcissist going around telling Sometimes your friends and family, uh, what a terrible person you are, they have their narrative about what happened in the relationship. And often it's a complete projection of what they've actually done. So if they have been, you know, belittling, obviously, and criticizing, or they cheated during the relationship, or all the lies and all the terrible things that, that they did within the relationship, they often, you know, go around telling everyone that that's actually what you did. So they're almost gathering people to to be on their side and sometimes they're doing this behind your back the whole time in the relationship and you don't even know it and it doesn't come out until after the discard and in that way they do trigger you or hoover you back in through the smear campaign um by saying all these things because obviously you want to defend yourself or you want to go to those people and say that's not what happened you know this is what happened and and then the narcissist in, in a way has reeled you back in
0: yeah yeah all right. And then is there anything like to to know if a discard is coming? I mean, I feel like in my own relationship in those last couple of years, my ex did all these terrible things. And I think he sensed that I was pulling away and I was making an exit plan. And then he started saying, well, I'm getting so you're so bitter and you can't let the past stay in the past. And, you know, you you're not willing to just forgive and forget. So, I don't know if you, I want to be with you anymore, and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> you're the one who did. It. So it was very disorienting. So, what are some ways that people can tell that a discard might be coming?
2: Yeah, that's a great example. It's that's exactly what they do. You know, number one, if you're healing, if you're starting to sense what's happening, and the narcissist often knows. They're they're really pretty good, actually, at reading people and being able to tell whether you are less manipulatable, basically they will kind of get disinterested at that point And, and that can be a sign if they start to, um, you know, not, not come home or not respond to your texts or phone calls, you, you slowly have a harder time getting in touch with them. They change their schedule. All of a sudden they have to work late when they've never had to work later. They have to travel now and they've never had to travel or they start mm. ghosting you. I've had clients where their partners just disappear for a day or two and they don't know what's happened they don't even know if they're alive if they're okay like and the narcissistic partner then comes back in like nothing has happened um Mm -hmm. they start blaming you like you said for everything in their relationship like everything is your fault they the devaluing tends to get worse so the they'll increase the criticisms and the belittling and the guilt tripping and the blaming you so that when they do discard you're so disoriented, you might think maybe this was my fault. And that's like their ultimate win because then they've left. You decided that this relationship was your fault. You won't even fight the smear campaign. And they're off in the sunset with their new narcissistic supply.
0: Yeah. So oh, I'm
1: I- gonna, I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna insta-bomb. <laughs> Hi, Chelsea. <I'm, laughs> I've been off never getting our dinner together and listening. And oh my gosh, everything you guys are describing is exactly what happened in my situation. Like, like the last couple of years, the schedule changed, staying out late. I found out later there was a new supply involved in that, you know, and, and just Mm -hmm. being ignored when, when she was home and, and everything. And then, you know, me also blaming myself after, um, after she left. And she's the Mm -hmm. one who left me, thank goodness, because I never would have probably had the strength to do it. Right, But, um, I remember those, those first couple months like begging her to come back and I was still being wrapped around, I guess, my own brain, <laughs> just like crazy. But this is so yeah. spot on. And hopefully all of our, our viewers can relate to it as well. So yeah. bomb Thank over. Yes.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. He is getting dinner ready. Yeah. <laughs> He's the cook in the, in the relationship. <laughs> um, I was going to say also, Chelsea, a couple of things. So I know some behaviors that I noticed in my relationship where my ex suddenly started working out. He was not in shape for the majority mm-hmm. of the relationship, but he was mm-hmm. going to work out all the time, this, like, concern with his appearance. And I'm like, wait, what, What you know, I knew something was up. And um, getting new clothes, like, being very, very concerned mm-hmm. with his looks, which... Uh, right, exactly. Or yeah. being
2: <laughs> super secretive now, of, like, past... Oh, that characters. was always... <laughs>
1: I like, yeah, Sorry. I've had
2: yeah people tell me, oh my, you know, my iPhone it makes me change my password like every two weeks. Uh, you know, I have mm-hmm. to, or you know, you've had access to something, and now all of a sudden you're you're locked out of things. So yeah, all those subtle changes. And that's why it's so important to trust your gut in these relationships because you know, like your body knows these things are happening. Narcissist tries to get you to ignore that so that they can manipulate you more. But it just goes to show that we know so much more than we realize.
0: Right. And what you just I have two two thoughts. But the, what you just said about trusting your gut, I think that's the thing that um, that harms us the most in some ways is after after getting out of these relationships, we feel like we can't trust ourselves anymore. And I feel like right. you, at least for me in those last uh, I mean, it t- like I said, it took a couple of years to really extract myself But there was a point where every single weekend I was finding out new, awful information. And so that complex PTSD where the part of the brain, the amygdala, um, that's this protective sheath, it just kept like wearing down. And so I got to the point where I couldn't trust my instincts at all because every time I'd start calming down, it was like I'd just be in like a constant state of panic waiting for the next bomb to drop knowing that every time he said now you know everything now you've uncovered it then another week there'd be more more to discover and it was horrific you know and i kept saying like can't you just tell the truth like we're already it's already over like just come clean and he's like i am and then there was more and more and more and more just made things so much worse
2: yeah and that's why it's so difficult you never get the closure And you think that the narcissistic discard is terrible, which it is. And a lot of people think if I just could have a conversation with them and that in and of itself can lead back to a Hoover of, I'm just going to have one more conversation with them. We're just going to resolve everything. We're going to get it out there. Like, don't Hoover yourself. Don't go back and think, "Um, I'll be able to get closure. This will be resolved. We'll be able to end peacefully.
0: It never will. Yeah, that's interesting. That self-hoovering makes me think about gaslighting and self been gaslit for so long that we start doubting ourselves and questioning everything too and then um we also got a i just saw like some of the comments flying by about bread crumbing so there's ghosting and then there's bread crumbing can you talk about bread crumbing at all
2: yeah for sure so of course ghosting is they disappear if you don't know where they are um the bread crumbing is really they give you just enough to survive or like to stay on the relationship. So you think of a breadcrumbing, like it's just enough to get by. You're never quite satisfied in the relationship, but they give you just enough. So maybe when you're finally um, getting ready to leave or you're starting to make sense of things, then they will hit you with, you look so beautiful today. And it's like, that was, oh my goodness, he noticed me. He really does care about me. Like we're okay. And then you start. So they, they condition you to live off of less and less. So that by the end of the relationship, you know, if they've texted you good morning, you you think you're off to a great day. You start to you know forget what it's even like to be treated like a normal, healthy human in a relationship because they've slowly devalued you so much. So the breadcrumbing is like they give you just enough to think you're okay or to stay in the relationship, to be willing to put up with the relationship, to um, get you to think that they're going to change and things are going to get better. They feed you that hope that future faking of one day we'll have this and you know after the job I'll do this I'm just stressed right now let's just wait till after this season the holidays are hard for me this you know this anniversary is difficult for me let's just get through this all the future faking all of that can could be tied back to the breadcrumbing that gives you just enough to stay but never enough to feel really full in a relationship
0: yeah I mean that makes me think of the term intermittent reinforcement which I did a blog about like two years ago, but how it's one of the most powerful forms of manipulation in the world, because your brain, it's almost like those pleasure hormones where you get a little tiny bit and you keep thinking, I'll do anything to get that back, just to get a little bit of attention, just to feel good again.
2: Yep, exactly. And that's why these relationships are so toxic and addictive. Like I have so many clients who say, I feel addicted to my partner and and I don't understand why. And so we we have this conversation about intermittent reinforcement. That's why things like gambling can be so addictive. You don't know when you will win or hit the jackpot, but you know, there's a chance. So Mm -hmm. slot machines and things like that, they give you just enough. It's kind of basically, yeah. An example of breadcrumbing is you get just enough to come back and then you are willing to put up with less and less or go longer and longer without any wins until finally you hit the jackpot. And that, is the addictive nature of a narcissistic relationship?
0: Right, and you're never going to hit the jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, no. <laughs> the winning. opposite. You're going to hit bottom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So, say you know that you're being discarded. Is there anything you can do to protect yourself, or what? What should you do when you start to realize it?
2: Yeah. Once you start to see the signs, you start getting that that gut reaction that you know something is up, and they're starting to change. It's really important to start preparing. It depends on what type of relationship you're in, but especially if you're in a long-term relationship or marriage, it's really important to have all the documentation together. Know the passwords. Know where the money is. Have have a, a safety plan if needed. If the relationship is physically abusive, and have a, a plan of where you might stay, or just start to gather resources. And if you weren't, you know, previously involved in the, the finances or different things that have to do with the home or the kids just know where everything is, know the schedule, know the routines, have the documents together. Um, and as far as emotionally, almost start to grieve the relationship. Like if you start to, to grieve ahead of time and kind of try to come to acceptance of what's happening as it's happening, that can make the transition a little smoother so that when the narcissist leaves and discards you or you know, whatever happens, it's kind of like, you already took control of that. So you're a little bit more prepared rather than feeling like you were hit out of nowhere. That's why it's so important to trust your gut. If you see those signs, then trust that that is happening. Go ahead and get emotionally prepared for that. So you feel more in charge of your healing.
0: Yeah, yeah. As you were saying that, I, I started thinking about emotional detachment and how it is so much easier to get out of these relationships and how like a lot of our, um, our babies, like people at the very beginning, it's so much harder for them, not just because they're at the beginning of the process, but emotionally, they're still in that cycle of intermittent reinforcement where they're like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I know. And they, and they, you know, they, they take two steps forward and one step back because it's, it's so hard. And then they are much more susceptible to being hoovered and emotionally manipulated. And it's like this constant emotional roller coaster. Whereas the people that are a little bit further along have really accepted and seen what their ex is like. And they're like, oh, there is not a chance that we're getting back. And so now I can focus on taking care of myself, my kids, getting through the legal system and planning without that cloud. You know, it's almost like getting out of a cult, you know, being like, now I know what I have to do. I'm just going to focus on that and move forward.
2: Absolutely. Radical acceptance is a huge piece, knowing that this isn't your fault. This was never your fault. This isn't something that will ever change. The next person who gets with the narcissist isn't going to get this great version of them that you've, you know, invested 20 years in and the next partner is going to, you know, have an amazing relationship with the narcissist. They're not, they will continue this cycle best to cut your losses move forward. The, the best thing that can happen is, is honestly the discard is as, as harsh and as hard as it feels because getting out of these relationships, if possible, and I know some people have to stay for various reasons, but if it happens, then, you know, consider yourself lucky and, and move on on your healing journey. Cause you're going to, you're going to heal so much better and be so much better without them.
0: Yeah. And what you just said, I know that's a really, really common theme with so many people where the X goes with new supply and they think, well, that person's doing, they're really happy. Maybe it's me. I wasn't good enough. And all of that self-blame and they don't just accept like, this is the cycle. They do this with everybody. Exactly. You know That person is a future abuse victim.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You almost want to just go ahead and feel sorry for them on the front end because they are going to go through exactly what you went through or worse. So as good as it can look with the new narcissistic supply, you can be sure that they will go through the same cycle.
0: Right. Okay. So we've gotten a couple of questions and this is what we, we came to at the end of our last conversation. What about yeah. the kids? What about when the kids get discarded? That's what happened with my kids as well. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. The effect on the kids I know can be so challenging. It goes back to all the things Andrew, we talked about a lot in, in our first Instagram live is all it takes if you can, if they can have one good parent, that can make a world of difference for your child. So you experience the discard, you know what that feels like, you know what you needed. You know that you can't change the narcissist or control the narcissist or necessarily stop it from happening, but you can be there for your kids. You can support them. You can help them process their emotions and give them that safe, supportive space to be able to say, I hear you. I see you. That sounds so difficult. Tell me about it. You know, you want to. Um, watch a movie? Do you want to draw about it? Do you want to paint? Do you want to color? Give them some healthy alternatives to know how to express their feelings. If you uh, just be there for them and help them through that, then that's the most important thing you can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I see there's a comment about when they're taken and brainwashed, but I think that's what they haven't been discarded because they're still being used as supply, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, overall, most kids come to come to see what's happens. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't. But all you can do, even in that scenario, is continue to show up for the kids and be the parent, be be the person that you are. Because at some point, the narcissist, uh, you know, what they're saying about you and who you're being, it's not going to match up. So if the narcissist, you know, that your ex-narcissist keeps saying, you know, your mom or your dad, they're terrible or they do this or they're doing this to you. And you keep showing up consistently and you keep, um, you know, being a part of their life and caring about the things that they're, they're doing and the things that are important to them, you know, eventually kids can see, okay, dad and mom always says these bad things, but that's not how they actually act. So you just have to continue to, to be that support for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we know it's really, really hard. All right. So now what are ways that we and our children can heal after a discard?
2: Yeah. Well, as we've been talking about, the biggest thing is to know it's not your fault. This was never yours to take blame for this whole process. You didn't know what you were entering into when you entered into a relationship with a narcissist. You thought you were forming a healthy relationship. You didn't know you were entering into playing a game. So you really have to step back and see this cycle, understand narcissism, narcissistic abuse, start to heal those wounds, the biggest thing is the mantra of a narcissistic relationship is we never feel good enough. So starting to do the deep dive and do the work of allowing yourself to have your feelings. Do all the things that the narcissist didn't allow you to do or didn't like you to do. If they they didn't like your cooking, if they didn't like the type of movies you watched, if they didn't want to go to the same restaurants, then you go there. You cook for yourself. You go to those restaurants. You watch those movies. Take some of your power back. Um, notice your strengths. Like I said, allow yourself to feel and have your emotions and start to do the deeper dive with what drew you into this relationship in the first place. Some of us might've been raised in narcissistic or toxic households. Some of us were impacts or just you know, very caring people, but we just didn't have very strong boundaries. So we were kind of sucked into these relationships. Do the deeper dive to also heal any traumas or vulnerabilities or insecurities that you might've had. And, you know, empower yourself so that now you can see a toxic relationship and, you know, what a healthy relationship as well. So people who've been through it and heal, I would say they're the strongest people because they know that narcissists and toxic people exist. They're not um, naive to it and they can identify it. And now they also know what a healthy relationship should feel like as well. And put your energy into developing those healthy relationships and keep the toxic. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, so Chelsea, so you're a therapist that specializes in this type of thing. So, why not tell people how to find you? But if you can't take them as a client, like what should someone look for in a therapist who really gets this sort of abuse? Because a lot of them don't understand it.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, it's, we're still building awareness even in the the therapist psychology space of what narcissism is. So, it's really important before you um, you know decide to go with a therapist or a coach to ask them, you know, what, what do you specialize in? What do you know about narcissistic abuse? Do you have a background in relationship trauma or, you know, what do you just ask some basic questions about narcissism and see if they can even have a, have a response or an answer to it. You know, Google and YouTube has amazing resources. So a lot of people, a lot of clients are already come very educated. So if that therapist isn't, telling you what narcissism is if they say you know narcissism is just someone who's kind of selfish um i would say run the other way you really need someone who understands what's happening and they can give you a solid answer for what narcissism looks like the cycle how to heal from narcissistic abuse and go back to listen to your gut if you don't resonate with people that's why i always offer a free consult call because i want people to get to know me first and feel like we're a good fit answer any questions they have if you get a a weird feeling uh, from a therapist or you don't click and you can feel free to move on.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. So Chelsea, how can people find you? Why don't don't you end and tell us, tell us a little bit about contact information.
2: Sure. So I'm on all the social media channels. Um, The easiest way would probably be go to the link in my bio on Instagram and I have a link tree there and you can see lots of of links or you can always visit my website at
0: chelseabrookkroll.com. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. And we'll do
2: this again. I would love to. It's so awesome. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Talk later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Been There, Got Out podcast. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us easily on all major social media, but especially Instagram and YouTube. If you think we might be able to help you with your own situation, just visit beentheregotout.com and click the button to schedule a complimentary discovery call. Thanks again, and see you next time.